This podcast is presented by All Copy Products, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at allcopyproducts.com. To the 15, to the 10, Murray's going to score, touchdown! Welcome to the Cardinals Red Sea Report. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. Connor to the 10, to the 5, and into the end zone for the touchdown! The Cardinals Red Sea Report is brought to you by Arizona Cardinals Podcast. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcast. Here we go. One-handed catch and a touchdown. Oh, baby. How's that feel? Here's Craig Grealou, three-time pro bowler Kyle Vandenbosch, and 13-year NFL veteran Drew Stanton. So next man up is a great concept, and when it works, it's wonderful. But, gentlemen, this is getting ridiculous when it comes to the Arizona Cardinals here in 2022. Another quarterback hurt, two more offensive linemen banged up, and your top three cornerbacks did not even dress Sunday in Denver. Three games left to go as we welcome you here on this Cardinals Red Sea Report presented by SeatGeek, your ticket to great seats. We look back at Sunday's performance against the Broncos, a 24-15 loss. We look ahead as well to Christmas nights and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers coming to town. But first things first, Drew, you look back at a nine-point loss to the Broncos and really a tale of two halves. Looked good in the first half, did not look good in the second half, but that all can be pinpointed to one play, and that was Colt McCoy getting hurt. Yeah, it's unfortunate uh, that that transpired. And as opposed to the next man up, it's become the next group up, right? <laughs> when you look at the corners, you look at the offensive line, and and now you, it's a group of people that you have to rely on Trace McSorley to go out there and win. And it's hard, right? Uh, it's hard enough to go out there and win with a backup quarterback, but they were in a position to do that. They, they did play a good first half to be able to put themselves in a position to go out and win in the second half. And then Colt gets hurt, and, and you could see Trace go out there, and it's no fault of his own, but he goes out there and he's pretty much freestyling right he's trying to make plays and do stuff and it's hard when you're not getting those reps you're not getting all those things that you would like to be able to do and the momentum shifted and they were just never able to get it back we had the pleasure on sunday after that game kyle to break it down even further but now a couple of days removed and you, you you have so many different plays in a game that can mean either a win or a loss. And I'll just continue to point to that injury to Colt McCoy because, yeah, the offense did finish that drive with a field goal, but it did seem to let the air out of the defense as well. And then as we heard post game, it was more that, yeah, seeing another quarterback on the ground, but also the Broncos' ability to really change up completely their game plan offensively. Yeah, you're right on on both aspects. Um, it it really you know when when Colt McCoy um, anytime he's on the field, um, you don't feel like team, this team loses hope. He's played well in the past. He's dialed into the game plan. He knows where to go with the ball. He knows how to run this offense. He's been in this system working with Coach Kingsbury. Um, so it, you know the team can rally behind him. He's an inspirational leader. He's tough, um, and and he's he's played good football for this team. So. Um, but when he went down, you kind of felt like then, um, you know, the, the the hope was gone to a degree, um, and it's unfortunate. I mean, um, just a consummate pro, 
um, prepares like you'd like your backup quarterback to prepare. Um, and and the team was in the game up to that point. And like you said, even though they scored on that drive, it kind of felt like it was a little bit listless after that. Um, and, you know, uh, it, in the second half, as is the story recently um, and at certain points in this season, it really felt like the Broncos did a really good job of adjusting their game plan and executing and down the stretch, when it mattered the most, the Cardinals weren't able to do so. Yeah, well, and as the lead-in of what we were talking about, Paul Calvisi talked about the last time the Cardinals went down there, 2014. And I was like, wait a minute, I was the quarterback in that game. And a very eerily similar situation, I get knocked out right before halftime, I believe it was. Couldn't play uh, because of a concussion, and Logan Thomas goes in and completes one pass. Now, granted, it went for a touchdown to Andre Ellington down the sideline in the triple coverage, so it looked good, but it was the same thing. It was so deflated, and you could see the team, and again, not comparing myself to anybody else or these situations, but you see the effect that it also has on the defense when you feel like it's going to be an uphill battle to try and get any points back up on that board. Again, the final score on Sunday, 24-15. to Here is more on Colt McCoy as far as his status and what he has gone through this entire season. Head coach Cliff Kingsbury. He's been banged up quite a bit this year and played through a lot. I think that people don't see or haven't seen. Um, And so he he continues to battle and and, uh, adverse situations, continues to stay back there and and take shots and try to deliver throws. And so that was uh, obviously a tough moment to, to watch him go down like that. Colt suffered a concussion. He's in concussion protocol. Don't know his availability this week, I would guess. And Kingsbury even brought this up when he addressed the media on Monday that they would err on the side of caution, and rightfully so. We've seen what concussions can do. He might pass concussion protocol, but I would certainly, Drew, would like to see I would like to see Colt McCoy not play this week just for his own benefit and then when you look long term to next year because you don't know what you're going to have with Kyler Murray dealing with a torn ACL. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as we get more information and gather more information, uh, Colt will hopefully you know, either pass or fail and do the right thing. I mean, you saw last week of the Denver Broncos Aaron on the side of caution by holding out Russell Wilson, even though he got clearance. And look, we're all competitors. We all want to play, especially when we're backups. Uh, and knowing Colton and knowing that he wants to be out there, knowing that he gives the team a chance to win. And again, there's so many limited opportunities, but you've got to look big picture. You've got to be able to do that. And sometimes you need protection from yourself, from this training staff. And Tom Reed and those guys will do a phenomenal job of assessing that before they allow him to return to play. Now the play in question which McCoy got hurt it was third and one. Here's head coach Cliff Kingsbury on what was supposed to happen. I mean he, he's super competitive which I, I appreciate but um, yeah we wanted James to hit that downhill and he, he saw an opportunity to try and get the first down he felt like so he pulled it and did that but um, the intention was for James to get the ball and hit it downhill and get the first down. Looking at that play a couple of times, though, Kyle, yeah, it was a handoff to James, but Colt pulled it out because there was a linebacker coming down the line of scrimmage, and I don't know if James Conner was going to get that first down, and in that moment, I don't care, first year, 13th year, you're competitive, to which Kingsbury pointed out to, and you're the quarterback, my job is to get the first down. No, you're exactly right. Um, There's a lot of criticism on that play call. Um, You know, I... (laughs) At least it wasn't a 40-yard bomb in that situation, right? Um, But it it wasn't a quarterback sneak. It was not a called quarterback run. It's a zone read where uh, Colt McCoy 
Um, you know, he rides the running back and reads that backside, either defensive end or outside linebacker, and that backside linebacker crashed hard. Colt McCoy made the right read, converted the first down. Um, anything that happened after that, um, it's just unfortunate. It's bad luck. Those things can happen. I mean, it could have happened on any given play, but Colt McCoy, um, you know, he made the right read, got the right play, got the first down, and the the offense was able to drive down the field after that and get some points. So, um, you know, I don't think you criticize the play call there. It was the finally the right play call. Um, you know, it was called to James Conner, but the read – um, you know, Colt McCoy made the right read because I don't know that they get that first down if he hands it off. You look at that decision by the quarterback, and in that moment, Drew, you're you're given options on what to do on that play. And again, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Well, obviously, Colt McCoy, if he knew he was going to suffer a concussion, he wouldn't <laughs> take that football and run into the back end of Calvin Beach and was always also banged up on that play. You're really in a no win situation in that. In the, in the decision on that moment for a quarterback. Yeah, it's hard because you want to be able to get the first down. You're trying to sustain a drive. You're trying to go win a football game. And the competitive nature of Colt is saying, this is what I'm allowed to do within the confines of this play. If the end crashes out, I keep the ball. I can tell you from a personal standpoint, I hated that because it happens so fast. And you have to make a split-second decision. I remember you know, going up to Seattle and I, I tried to ride the fake and I thought Bruce Irvin crashed and he didn't. He was standing right there and he was like laughing at me as I'm holding the ball and we're face to face and I'm like, oh, this was a bad decision. That's going to happen within the confines and the structure of the play call. You just, again, when you're playing with your backup quarterback already, you want to be somewhat conservative on that. And again, the, the what the structure of this offense is, how Cliff operates, how the the game plan is put together in third and short type of a situation. Traditionally, you'd say, well, yeah, go under center and hand the ball off if that's what you want to do and hit it downhill. That's not what this offense is. That's not what they've done. Uh, and so if you're going to do that and the play call comes in and it asks you to require whatever it requires, Colt's going to do that. So, you know, you hand it off and you don't get it on first down or on third down and then everybody's sitting and say, well, what? Well, Okay, like he's capable of getting the first down. Why didn't he just pull it and run? It happens so fast, and uh, you know it's just unfortunate the the result of that play on both ends of Calvin Beecham and Colt McCoy. And it's a good distinction on your part within the confines of the offense because I don't like shotgun on third and short, fourth and short. But within this offense, that's what you run. And as the quarterback, you run what is called. Exactly. That's the short yardage play, unfortunately, because they're trying to get numbers. They're trying to gain an advantage. That's what the offensive line knows. That's what they're expecting these type of play calls because in the right set of circumstances, you're able to do that and hopefully gain whatever advantage you need, whether handing the ball and hitting it downhill to James Conner or pulling it and trying to get one yard. It's just, again, uh, not something that you want to look back at and say, man, we lost our backup quarterback in the process. Trace McSorley comes in, finishes that drive. Matt Prater kicks a 55-yard field goal to make it 9-3 Cardinals with 8.55 to go. Cardinals would then not score again until late, or I should say midway through the fourth quarter. Meanwhile, the Broncos scored 21 straight points. They would go on to win 24-15. Head coach Cliff Kingsbury. The turnovers um, in our territory, you know, set up short fields, and we can't do that. You know, I thought we played hard, just uh, had a bunch to overcome with some of the injuries and whatnot, and then just didn't play clean enough to get that done. Three turnovers, two in the fourth quarter. There were seven penalties, or excuse me, there were, yeah, seven penalties, six of those in the second half. And yeah, you're playing from behind, you're playing behind the sticks. A lot to overcome with a third string quarterback in Trace McSorley. 
The message, though, for this team that is now 4-10, and 10, J.J. Watt on what he told his teammates. I was very honest with the guys after the game. The situation is what it is. We're out of the playoffs. We're in a very difficult spot. You got to be a professional. Hold yourself accountable as a man, as a player. Um, you're not only playing for these last three games for this team, but you're putting film on tape for next year as well. And it sucks. I mean, trust me, I don't, I don't like having to stand up there and say that, but that's the truth. You hear that phrase, Kyle, be a professional. Easier said than done, although I'm looking at two guys who did that every single week of their playing career. But there are players out there with three games left to go that, yeah, they'll tap out and say, I'm going to focus on the offseason, focus on next season. But there are those that, if you don't focus on these three games, there might not be a next season, whether here or somewhere else. Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, coaches, GMs, they they they're looking around right now to see what players they can move forward with, what type of man you are, what type of player, um, regardless of situation. They this is a league that is looking for professionals that, um, you know, are gonna rise up, are gonna fight regardless of the circumstances. And to me, um, leadership in this locker room is never more important than it is right now. Um, you know. It, if I'm on this team um, and I got, I'm looking around and I see Buda Baker flying around and I see Jalen Thompson flying around and I see JJ Watt still going out there, um, you know, in spite of injuries around him on on the defensive line and, and playing and executing and, and you wouldn't know if this team was fighting for a playoff spot or this team was out of the playoffs by watching them on tape. I'm going to raise my level of play. I do not want to let my teammates down. I don't want to be the guy on film. Um, with that little red dot on them because you're loafing, you're taking a playoff, you're not fighting like the guy next to you. I mean, look at Colt McCoy, for example. Um, you know, Say what you want about that play call when he got injured. He is fighting, and he is going to lay it on the line for his teammates, and he's in the same situation as everybody else. I mean, he's been in this league long enough that he doesn't have to stick his face in there and fight for an extra first down, but he doesn't want to let his teammates down. He wants to lead this team the right way. So, um, you know, it's it's time to see what this team has going forward. And with the injuries, it's a good opportunity to um, for the GM, for the head coach, to look at this roster and decide which players you want to move forward with next training camp. James Conner talked about respect. That's what you're playing for. Respect the game as well because you look at these three teams, Buccaneers, Falcons, to a certain extent, and certainly the 49ers, all three with something to play for here over these last three games. Much more on the Buccaneers game as we continue here on the Cardinals Red Sea Report presented by SeatGeek. Your ticket to great seats. But coming up next, what's next for this offense if it is Trace McSorley as QB1? Episode 53 of the Dave Patch Podcast featuring ESPN and ABC NBA analyst Mark Jackson is coming soon. To catch up on past episodes, just follow the Dave Patch Podcast via your preferred podcast provider. Get the latest updates via Twitter at PashPod. It is Tuesday. That means it's the Cardinals Red Sea Report right here on the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. to the right, Dorch in motion left to right behind McCoy, who's in shotgun, takes the snap, quarterback run to the right, McCoy puts his head down, dives, and has the first down. And Colt McCoy just landed flat on his back. Oh no. Kelvin Beecham is down too. I think Colt may have collided with Beecham as he dove, and remember Colt, last week they were looking at his head, 
Colt, I don't know if he was trying to get up or just to turn over on his back, but the way he did it was very scary. Real scary watching Colt McCoy try to get up and then fall back. Did walk off the field under his own power, but we did not see Colt McCoy the rest of the game diagnosed with a concussion. His status, his availability this week, very much in question. Likely, Trace McSorley gets the start this week when the Cardinals host the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And that is the focus here as we continue and welcome you back to the Cardinals Red Sea Report presented by SeatGeek, your ticket to great seats, where this offense goes from here. And I'll start with you, Drew, when you look at what this offense, the intention with Kyler Murray as quarterback, okay, maybe change things a little bit because Cole McCoy is not as mobile. Now all of a sudden you're down to your third quarterback, not as experienced as a Colt McCoy, maybe a little bit more athletic, but certainly doesn't have the games under his belt. What do you do if you're head coach Cliff, Kings- Cliff Kingsbury and the rest of the coaching staff? Well, I think you got to protect him within the play call, right? But you, he's seen a good sample size of what Colt's been able to do to stay on schedule with the offense, to get in the manageable down and distance on third down. All of those things matter. Obviously, you want to be able to run the football because that's going to go hand-in-hand with being able to throw the football, stay on schedule, do all of that be able to get a full week of practice. All of those things matter of getting a good gauge of, okay, this wide receiver comes out of his break like this, or this guy runs this way, or he's this fast on his go ball. Okay, this is the route that we're looking to hit a big post over the top on because we know that they're going to play quarters coverage and we're getting this and we're going to set it up with this motion. All of those nuances matter throughout the course of the week. Being able to communicate with D-Hop, being able to communicate with all those I think also being able to you know get more play action, displace the backers, do all of these things, find tight ends, find easy throws to get into a rhythm, and that could be screens. That could be so many different ways, but I think you're going to see a conservative game plan that allows a quarterback to feel comfortable, get in tune to the game. And then there's also the dimension, like you talked about, of being able, when we saw him play in preseason, of the quarterback draws, of doing all this stuff, but... Uh, you don't want to go find out who that fourth quarterback is because David Blau just got here last week. Even though I, I love the kid and, and he is a great quarterback, you don't want to see what that looks like. So you've got to be careful of how much you expose him to in the run game as well. David Blau, Carson Strong on the practice squad. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of eyes on what is this Cardinals approach with a third string quarterback and then going up against a very good Tampa Bay defense. But Drew talked about the run game, and I know something that's been a lot of the focus, Kyle, when you look at what James Conner potentially can do for this offense and potentially for a young, inexperienced quarterback, just put the workload on Conner's shoulders. Yeah, he and he's shown, you know, not necessarily this game, but the two games prior, um, you can ride him. And he's going, you know, again, a, a lot of the story in this game was what happened on first down. And so many times it was either an incomplete pass, put us in second 10, or there was a run that didn't gain any yards, put us in second long and got behind the sticks. Um, so, it, you know, I hope... Um, you know, a lot like the two prior games, we come out with a game plan. We figure out where we can have success in the run game. We feed James Conner. Um, we get Keontae Ingram a few more carries, get him involved. Um, and, and I think that's what you got to go with at this point to protect the quarterback. Saying that, um, you know, I understand that you've got to do what you got to do to try to win the game. Um, you know, you're telling everybody in that locker room, we're going to continue to fight. We're going to prepare like we're going to win. Um, and especially, you know, this this team is in desperate need of a home win. You've got a nationally televised game. 
Um, I think you try to find you, you you still try to feed D Hop. You still try to get Hollywood Brown involved um, because those are the you know two of your best weapons, two of the best players on the football field, the players that present matchup problems on the outside. So um, you know while I think a conservative approach is probably wise, I hope they go all in and try to win this game with an aggressive game plan. The good news is Trace is going to get the bulk of the work this week. They will be practicing more than they did a week. Week ago, but again, that challenge of introducing a new quarterback mid-game. Here's head coach Cliff Kingsbury. The toughest part is, is just when those guys don't get rest during the week. You know, having to come in in adverse situations, try to operate at a high level. But that's what they get paid to do. And um, you know, I thought at times he did some good things. So we'll, we'll try to get him coached up this week. McSorley on the day on Sunday, 7 of 15, 95 yards, but it was the two turnovers that Kingsbury talked about post-game as well. There were three turnovers in that game overall by the Cardinals' offense. More from Kingsbury on what he wants to see out of McSorley, if it is McSorley this week. Yeah, avoid the negative plays. You know, the last few times he's gotten, it's, it's really without any reps at all. So if he can get some reps throughout the week, if he, if he ends up being the starter, then I think it'll help and, and just, you know, got to stay away from the turnovers and then first and second down sacks. If we can stay on schedule, particularly against um, this Tampa front, that'll definitely help our chances. McSorley got a lot of time in training camp, a lot of time in the preseason. There were some good things. And I'll go back to conversations that we heard from fans thinking that Trace McSorley might have beaten out a Colt McCoy and was a better quarterback in the event Kyler Murray went down. Now, we're seeing that that, that was not the case but any advice drew for you to a trace mcsorley when you're getting this opportunity because every quarterback you want that opportunity to be the starter yeah well you've got to be able to go out and put your best foot forward and the, the easiest way to do that is be yourself be who you are you can't be Kyler murray you cannot be colt mccoy you have to be trace mcsorley you have to be that every single day that you step into this building every single rep you have to get the most out of guys because of the thing about playing this position is getting those 10 other guys in the huddle to believe in you. It's about getting everybody else in that locker room to believe when you take the field, they're still going to have a chance to win a football game. And that's a hard thing to be able to flip and change the mentality of. But that's something you have to go out and earn. You've got to earn that respect. You've got to earn that trust. But the easiest way to do that is just go out and be who you are. And you have to understand, and there's a balance of saying, okay, well, I know that this opportunity is not coming along very often, right? When you're usually third on a depth chart and you're buried, it does not come around. That's why being a backup is so more advantageous to getting a chance to play. Uh, you also have to take the mindset of this opportunity is going to come, and if I don't make the most of it, I'm not going to necessarily get one of these again. So there, there's so much that goes into it, and it's as much mental as it is physical, slowing the game down in your mind, being prepared, communicating with your offensive coordinator. If Colt can't play, though, I'm sure he'll be the number one fan of Trace McSorley, which is huge to be able to have that experience and have somebody pouring into you and helping keeping you calm, helping you see what's going on, helping to dissect what the team is doing, because this is a four-quarter game. You've got to be able to identify what they're doing to you and be able to go out there and be able to put your best foot forward as a starter, get guys involved, do all these things. So, uh, you know, I'm excited to see what Trace McSorley can do because this is about getting opportunities and making the most every time you step foot on that field because they're so limited. It would help if Trace had an experienced offensive line experience, meaning five guys that had played together a lot of the season. And we don't know that at this point. Kelvin Beecham, again, a question mark. We saw Max Garcia hurt his shoulder in that game. This potentially, Kyle, could be the 11th different offensive line combination. Kelvin Beecham's the only starter who has played every single game. 
and you might be looking at Cody Ford starting at right tackle. Yeah, you're right. You know, it's not only tough coming in as a backup quarterback, but when you have Cody Ford, who's a backup guard, playing offensive tackle, um, you know, things become tough, especially when you're trailing late in the game and you have to, you're going to have to pass to get yourself back in the game. Um, you, you know, to me, that will be one of the biggest factors. It's not just how Trace McSorley prepares. It's not just how he plays if he's the quarterback um, on Christmas. It's you know what does this offensive line look like, and you know can you execute every play in your playbook with the group you have? I mean, it's 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 already a patchwork offensive line, and you know looking at the hit Calvin Beecham took. Um, you know, he, he looked like he got his ankle spatted up and came back in, but um, was really struggling to kick in pass protection and get back there. Um, so, it, you know, he may not be available this week either. So, um, you know, they're going to have to find five guys and figure out what they can do well um, along with the quarterback. And you're going up against a Buccaneers defense that has the sixth most sacks this season. They've got 40 sacks on the year. Beecham returned but didn't finish the game. It was Cody Ford who played the final drive for the Cardinals in that 24-15 loss. Join the season ticket priority list and select your seats before the general public. 2023 opponents include the Seahawks, 49ers, and Rams. Plus, you got the Giants, Cowboys, Ravens, and Bengals all visiting State Farm Stadium. For more information, go to azcardinals.com slash priority list. There were some bright spots in Sunday's game. How about J.J. Watt and what the defense was able to do specifically in the first half? We'll touch on that as we continue. It is the Cardinals Red Sea Report presented by SeatGeek. Your ticket to great seats here on the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. Absolutely mauled by J.J. Watt. That's like turning around and all of a sudden Jaws is there. Ready to swallow you up. Back to throw and another sack for J.J. Watt. That's two today as he beats his man and then beats down the quarterback. Back to throw Rippin. And the ball comes out as he's hit. It flutters and my J. Sanders has a hold of it. They're going to say it's a fumble recovered by Sanders. J.J. Watt, Watt came around knocked the ball out of his hand. That's what he did. J.J. Watt got the right hand on it. So will that go down as another sack? That goes down as another sack. That'll be three sacks in the first half. And now a forced fumble for Watt recovered by MyJ Sanders. Oh my goodness. J.J. Watt, are you kidding me? It was quite the first half performance by J.J. Watt in Sunday's 24-15 loss to the Denver Broncos as we welcome you back here to the Cardinals Red Sea Report for Presented by SeatGeek, your ticket to great seats. Craig Raylu, Drew Stanton, and Cobb Annabosch. And not only the sacks, Cobb, but you look at what J.J. Watt did. Yeah, three sacks, three quarterback hits, three tackles for loss, one force fumble, one pass defense. That all happened in the first 30 minutes of the game. Nearly, I know he was looking for that fourth sack, which would have been a career-high single-game performance. But, again... J.J. Watt, with nothing to play for, goes out with three sacks in the first two quarters. 
Yeah, it was, it was impressive. You say nothing to play for. He, he got a little chunk of change. Oh, for, that's true. Yes, for, he did. For his performance on the field. <laughs> um, it, it was not for nothing. But, uh, man, he, he uh, just continues to make plays game after game. And, um, you, know, you know, the shocking thing to me is when a player has those type of first-half statistics, usually you're, you end up being up by two or three scores. Um, it, you know, the first one in particular, it, these sacks happen so fast. Um, but you can see why the Denver Broncos offense is not good, um, why they're not good coming into this game. You've got the team's leading um, sacker. Uh, you've got a Hall of Famer. He's got 100-plus sacks. Maybe uh, who knows how many he has at this point. You probably do, Craig. I don't have the number. But um, they don't block him, and he, he gets a clean shot on the quarterback. Um, so, it, you know, that's just – just a little peek at, at what the Denver Broncos offense looks like. But he he had some, you know, his second and third sacks were impressive. Uh, one of them, he came from, you know, he's lined up on the right tackle, came all the way to the opposite A-gap in the blink of an eye and got in the backfield. So, um, you know, at his age, he continues to be tremendously productive, continues to be a player that makes big, game-changing type plays. It's just unfortunate that... Um, none of those plays necessarily changed the game. Um, even though he forced a turnover, got the ball back for our offense, and, and gave us a short field. Um, you know, it's we need more plays like that from other players on this defense at this point um, in order to to help the team um, get that big game-changing type play. The only number that matters to J.J. Watt is the $900,000 that was deposited into his bank account for his performance on Sunday. ESPN's Field Yates tweeted out that Watt hit three different incentive clauses in his contracts and ultimately equaled Almost a million dollars. Not bad for a Sunday afternoon. Good for him, man. I mean, he's you know he's been the face of the of the NFL for a while, and and what he's been able to accomplish, and to see him to do it at this age, and to be able to go out, go get your money, man. You know what? That's that's a portion of this too. That's how we make a living. This is what we do, and and it is performance based. So to see him do that, and and like Kyle said, unfortunately, it did not affect the outcome of the game, but it sure uh, held them at bay for a while. Speaking of JJ Watt, let's hear from the man himself talking about what he did in the first half, and then what the Broncos did to adjust in the second half. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to go out there and play good football. Trying to help us win. Do whatever I can. And. Uh, it was good, but then they went in at the half, and they obviously didn't want that to happen again, so they, they changed it all up, and give them credit. They, they did a good job in the second half. Yeah, the Broncos concentrated on the running attack in that second half. The Broncos had 113 rushing yards in the second half alone. They finished with a season-best 168 on the ground. Here's head coach Cliff Kingsbury. They ran the ball well um, the second half. You know, some of our, our bodies down and on the D-line. Um we kept them out there on, on defense too much. Offensively, weren't able to sustain drives. And I think we just got worn down. And I think just Nathaniel Hackett, Drew, was tired of seizing J.J. Watt in the backfield and said, let's protect our quarterback, who was a backup in Brett Rippon, and let's see what Latavius Murray can do, what Marlon Mack can do. And, well, they ran right through that Cardinals defense. Yeah, I mean, again, it keeps you on schedule. It does all those things. It negates a pass rush. Uh, it does so many things, but when you're talking about a uh, a season high at this point in the season, that's never a good thing when you're on the opposing end of that. And, and Kyle's talked about it before. We've talked about it before. When you feel like you're wearing down constantly, 
uh, that's a problem. That's a problem defensively in the second half if teams are doing that to you, depending on how you're built or just what's inside your heart, right? Like if you're sitting there and you're willingly just continually allow this to happen, and this is not an offensive line. This is not an offensive unit that is putting up staggering numbers. This is an outlier of an operation against a team that you've got to be able to know what you're going up against. You knew exactly who you were playing this week in the Denver Broncos, how they were going to go about doing it. They're going to throw the ball to Jerry Judy, and they're going to try and run the football and protect Brett Rippon. They did all of those things to a T, and yes, they might have adapted a little bit from the first half to the second half, but they stayed course of who they wanted to be and what they wanted to do, and unfortunately, the Arizona Cardinals were not able to stop that. It was the 25th best rushing offense going into that game on Sunday, and I think the Cardinals defensively, Kyle, they knew exactly what the Broncos were going to do in the second half. They were going to run the ball, and it's demoralizing when you know what your opponent is going to do, and you still can't stop them. Yeah, the concerning thing to me was the inability to adjust, right? Um, Typically, a team may run a toss crack once in a game. Uh, By my count, it was six times in the second half. And at one point, they ran it twice in a row. When they scored a touchdown, they came back the next drive and ran it on the first play of the next drive. Had success every single time. It seemed like they came out, their game plan was, we're going to get the ball in Jerry Judy's hands. We're going to test Christian Matthew and Jace Whitaker. And they kind of continued that in the second half, but in a different way. Um, they, you know, when your offensive line is struggling, you you run these tosses because they don't necessarily have to get a body on a body. You get one block, and then you're going to make these corners tackle. You've got some inexperienced corners, um, you know, possibly undersized. You you get your blocks. You you get a body on a body, and, and it's a one on one with the running back and the cornerback. And um, you know, they just continued to do it, and the Cardinals did not adjust, and and the Broncos had success with that toss the whole second half. Kingsbury mentioned on Monday that 70 yards of rushing by the Broncos alone on those toss plays in the second half and it was a lot of Latavius Murray just running outside and forcing those young corners a Christian Matthew a Jace Whitaker a Nate Harrison for a couple of snaps to come up and make those tackles again Cardinals did not have their top three cornerbacks you did not have Zach Allen in this game after hand surgery don't know his status for this week but that played a factor because Zach Allen in the middle of that defense and even the ability to get outside on the perimeter has been a force defensively and Kyle Cardinals did not have that so yeah you're missing bodies at the same time what do you do to adjust when you don't have a Zach Allen or you have young corners in the secondary yeah, that you know, Zach Allen to me has been the most consistent player on this defensive front um, the entire season, and you could definitely see the void when he wasn't out there. Now, saying that, um, I've seen good things from Jonathan Ledbetter. I think he's he's going to be a really good player. He's dynamic. Um, Tristan Hill, I thought, did a good job inside. He had a sack in the game as well. Um, so you know, we we talk about the development of young players. We're going to need. Uh, to see what type of depth we have on this defensive front for next year with potentially losing J.J. Watt. So um, it's it's good to see these other players step up, but it definitely hurt not having Zach Allen in the lineup. Others who had sacks in that game, Marcus Golden, J. Sanders also with a sack overall. The Cardinals had seven sacks, six of those in the first half. You get seven sacks, you should be able to win that ball game. Here's the head coach, Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah, I liked our chances, but once again, you turn the ball over like that in the plus territory, give them short fields, uh, it's hard to win in this league. Cardinals now over this four-game losing streak, Drew, are minus six in the turnover battle. That is nine giveaways and three takeaways, and 
doesn't really matter what kind of talent you have. If you're turning the ball over that much and not getting it back, you're going to lose. Yeah, that's the biggest determination of wins and losses in this league is turning over. And that uh, that was actually my key to the game because when you're dealing with you know a lot of injuries, when you're dealing with backup quarterbacks, and you're dealing with all these things, turnovers matter because of the field position, because of those things of the short fields, and you're coming away with points. And, and you could have felt good about, okay, they missed the field goal, so there's three off the board. But anytime the Cardinals got in the red zone, you want to see them convert those touchdowns. You want to see them just get points on the board. And when you take points off the board or you're doing things and, and – you know, turning the ball over, it's extremely hard to win in this league. And again, when you look at that number, it's no surprise why there's a four-game losing streak. When you're that bad in the plus-minus, it's hard to have a winning brand of football. There was the strip sack fumble recovery by the Cardinals defense, and then Buda Baker with the interception. Those were the two takeaways by the Cardinals in that 24-15 loss to the Denver Broncos. Cardinals 4-10, and 10, they'll try to right the ship against the Buccaneers on Christmas night. We'll discuss the Buccaneers, who are looking for their own win as well. They've got their own struggles. We continue here on the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. And a reminder, Super Bowl 57 is coming to Arizona. Don't miss an exclusive pre-sale opportunity for both Super Bowl opening night presented by Fast Twitch and Super Bowl Experience presented by Lowe's at the Phoenix Convention Center. For a limited time only, use the code CARDINALS to unlock 57% off tickets at SuperBowl.com. This is the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. Two receivers left, one to the right, Dylan in the backfield. And Brady drops and throws, pumps right, and then Brady is sacked by Bertrand Berry. There's a flag down, but Brady's down as well, thanks to Bertrand Berry, who gets his first Cardinal sack. That was back in 2004, week two. Bertrand Berry against Tom Brady, then with the New England Patriots and the game at Sun Devil Stadium. By the way, Tom Brady has never played a regular season game at State Farm Stadium. Two Super Bowls, but not a regular season game. As the Tampa Bay Buccaneers visit coming up on Sunday night, Christmas night. 6.20 is the kickoff. 1.30 pregame coverage begins as we break down this matchup between the Cardinals Four and ten, the Buccaneers six and eight. But first things first. How many times, Kyle, did you bring down Tom Brady in your career? Probably two or three. I know I got him uh, once or twice in a preseason game back when players actually played in the preseason. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean that was. You know, there's certain quarterbacks that um, it's kind of a notch in your belt when you uh, when you take them down, and he's definitely one of them. Um, you know, he's 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 the goat, right? I mean, and and you know, going into this game. Um, it, you can never discount Tom Brady in, in important games late in the season, and you know you can expect him to be um, at or close to his best on Christmas night. Well, he's not coming off one of his better performances, Drew. He was intercepted twice, lost two fumbles, and he's been intercepted four times now in the past two games. He's not playing well. The Buccaneers are not playing well. They've lost two in a row, three of four overall, yet it's still Tom Brady. And that gives any team that he's on a chance. It does, but they also blew a 17-point lead. Did, yes. that's, that's the one that uh, is most disheartening. But again, uh, you look at the injuries they've had and, and the turnover from the roster from last year to, to where they are now, 
uh, and they're banged up up front. They're banged up at a lot of different places. They've had wide receivers in and out and, and all of those things. So there's been a lot of moving pieces for Tom. But again, you look at his body of work, you look at what he can accomplish. Anytime he sets foot on a football field, uh, that team believes they're going to win. I mean, I went down there for that six weeks and was a part of that Super Bowl run. And just his infectious personality, the way that he draws guys in and makes better everybody else better around him, uh, it's been uncharacteristic to see him turn the ball over this much, to have this many losses to do all of the things that you wouldn't think that a Tom Brady type of a team would do. But there's human nature involved with all of this. And once you get after him, you start hitting him, you start affecting him. He's just like any other quarterback. They don't want to get hit. And if you hit him early and you hit him often, it's going to change, especially when you know, you're know you 40, however years old he is. Um, that also takes into consideration arm strength. All of these things of trying to fit the ball in the mind uh, is a, a, a beautiful thing that he has to be able to put and do so many things pre-snap to align the way that he wants. I mean, 95% of the time, he could probably tell you where the ball is going before it's even snapped. That 5%, he's adjusting on the fly. He is manipulating defenses to be able to be the puppet master the way that he wants to do things, and that's what makes him so special. And he's got moving pieces. He's got guys that can do it. They just haven't been able to sustain that for you know the course of this season. But there's three games left to get it right, and you don't want to be on national TV against Tom Brady when things are on the line. His 23rd season in the league, once upon a time, teammates with Cliff Kingsbury with the New England Patriots. Cardinals head coach was asked about that earlier this week. I mean, he's still the greatest player of all time. And, you know, I've known him now 20 years. I got drafted there in 03. And, and so to go out and compete against him, um, you know, or actually be on the same field with him is, is going to be an honor and excited to uh, excited to see him. Brady leads the league in passing attempts, passing completions. He's number three in passing yards, 20 touchdowns, seven interceptions. This Buccaneers offense, Kyle, does do a very good job at throwing the football. They are dead last running the football, but they do not score a ton of points, less than 18 a game, and that's something you would not expect with a Tom Brady-led offense. No, you're right, Um, but like you talked about, they have – uh, they have weapons for sure. I mean, um, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin it might be, if not the best, one of the best one-two combos at the wide receiver position. They're a tough cover. You know, they, I'm hoping Marco Wilson and Antonio Hamilton can be back um, because that's that's a tough matchup. And um, even even their running backs, uh, Leonard Fournette, Rashad White, uh, they have a combined 110 catches between the two of them. So it's kind of an extension of their run game. You look, their run game is last in the league. They're last in yards per carry. Um, not not necessarily a big threat on the ground, um, but you do have to account for them in the passing game for sure. Flip it over to this Buccaneers defense, Drew. If you're going to attack it, it is a very solid defense, although Vitavea did not play last week. Their safeties are working through injuries, but they got two good inside linebackers in Devin White and Levante David. And Carlton Davis with 11 passes defense this season. They are keeping teams out of the end zone. That defense is holding up its own. Yeah, I mean, a Todd Bowles-led defense, they're going to be aggressive. They're going to get after you, as he talked about, in sacks and, and be creative in doing so. You've got to be able to to see post-snap coverages, but it also allows for big plays. You can be able to, with the, the safeties coming downhill, being so involved in the run game, you can get those big posts over the top. You can get those big plays because they do put corners on the island, and they are susceptible to double moves. They're big 
big cornerbacks that are tackling in the run game. They're doing all these things. I mean, that linebacking core is as good as it gets in this league. But if you don't have protection on the back end or on the front end to help those linebackers be as special as they are, that's where you're going to see you know some some opportunities to be able to take advantage. Vita Vey is unbelievable. I mean, to be that big, to be that athletic, to be able to to do all the things that he does uh, is pretty special. So if he's not out there, that's a huge plus for the Arizona Cardinals. You've got to be able to be smart, but if you look at what teams have been able to do against them this year, there is big play potential. Uh, you've also got to be able to, to put your hard hat on and run the football against them because when you can do that, that's going to open up everything else. 620 is the kickoff. 130 pregame coverage begins here on the Arizona Cardinals radio network. It's the national spotlight. It's the Sunday night football, Christmas night. It's the third game of a triple header on Christmas Day. So, yeah, huge opportunity. And that's what we're looking at these last three games, Kyle, is another opportunity, whether it is Colt McCoy or Trace McSorley or whomever it is playing quarterback or whoever is on the football field for this Cardinals team. Uh, you're right. I mean, I hope the players look at it as an opportunity. Um, look, it's a long off season. We don't need to be talking about the off season right now. What we need to talk about or what, what needs to happen is, you know, this team needs to feel good about something. We need to get a home win for our fans that show up every week. Um, we've got to end this losing streak. Um, we, we've got to, you know, we're coming off of three games where we executed in the first half. We go into halftime with a halftime lead, and we can't finish the game and, and make crucial mistakes late in the game that cost us games. So, um, you know, there's so many things to make right that you can feel good about um, if you go into this game, play well, and come out with a victory. Last Cardinals win at home. Thursday night football against the New Orleans Saints. Cardinals won that game 42-34. We'll see what happens coming up on Sunday and then talk about it in one week's time here on the Cardinals Red Sea Report presented by SeatGeek, your ticket to great seats. Gentlemen, you got your Christmas shopping done or is that where you're headed to after this? I gotta go pick up a turtle. I, I just got two turtles. Oh, can, I'll give you oh, one. Oh wow, mine. this is gonna make for a fascinating discussion <laughs> next week. Craig, you want a turtle? I'll get you oh, one. I'm, I'm good. Thank you. I appreciate the offer, though. Hey, maybe our executive producer, Jim Omohundro, or technical director, Zach Larson, need a turtle or wants a turtle. Wow, that just spun in a whole different direction that I was not expecting. For Drew Stanton, Kyle Vandenbosch, I'm Craig Riolu. This is the Arizona Cardinals Radio Network. You've been listening to the Cardinals Red Sea Report. 15-10-5, touchdown, Zach Ertz. Buda Baker with the sack, stripped the ball. Murray's going to score, touchdown. Oh, baby. The Cardinals Red Sea Report is brought to you by the Arizona Cardinals mobile app. Visit azcardinals.com slash app. Touchdown, Cardinals win. This has been an exclusive presentation of the Arizona Cardinals Football Club. Oh.